Morning, morning. Uh, happy Memorial Day weekend. Look around, you can tell. <laughs> uh, if you are one of our friends um, and you are or members and you're watching online, thank you for watching. Be safe if you're driving right now. Um, uh, we know uh, Harley left for Baltimore super early on Saturday morning, right? Like 5 a.m. And so they're in Pennsylvania right now on their way. And so be thinking about them, praying for them. We're thinking about you guys if you're listening. Um, it's, it's, it's that time. It's Memorial Day weekend. It's like officially vacation time. Right? I know my personal vacation starts tomorrow. It'll be a week for me from Monday to Sunday. So if you try to hit me up, call me, text me, and I don't reply. It's nothing personal. I'm unplugging and I'm getting time with God and my family, okay? And if you have a problem with that, you got a problem with that, but, uh, you know, amen. Um, this is week five of talking about fruit. Fruit that lasts. Fruit that lasts. I hope that at this point, our collective vision and understanding of what fruit is has changed. I hope, and, and, and maybe not that it was bad before, but just that it's gotten better. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. I really hope that's, at least that's where we can be at together. Not only just understanding on a head level, but heart level, and the way that we've interacted in this time. It's good to see you, Jacob, representing for the high schoolers up here. You know, we've talked about being chosen. John 15, being chosen. We've looked at what bountiful life means really means we've looked at how less is more less of us and more of 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 god's vision of things more of god's version of fruit and we've looked at what it means to be connected and the nourishment that comes from that connection to jesus divine remaining in him yeah that's last week and we looked at first john so we're chosen. We're chosen to experience and share bountiful life by relying less on ourselves and more on God via the connection to him that comes from imitating Jesus in our daily lives. If we had to sum up this month in one sentence, this is the only way we will be able to bear any kind of fruit that lasts. It's the only way. As we've listened to the John 15, we've pieced together these key ideas like a puzzle and we've built upon it, renewing our vision. Today is an opportunity for us to stand back and look at how all of these things have fit together, okay? So that's what we're doing together this morning. Any uh, puzzlers out there? I know we had some serious pandemic puzzlers. We got into it. It didn't last long. That's what happens when you have a toddler who's like, oh, a puzzle, blow it up, right? Like. So does anybody, when you finish like a puzzle, like a puzzle, do you get, what is it called, hodgepodge? Or the clear glue? It's not what it's called. No, that's what it's called. Yeah. Modpod. I don't know. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Clear glue you put over it so that it's it's together forever, right? People with Legos do that too, right? Uh, and so that way it's it's there and, and you'll be able to kind of adore it for what it is and frame it or whatever you do with it, right? 
You know, it's the same with this series. The, the teachings that Jesus presents here in these final chapters of John's gospel, um, the glue here is abounding love. And the glue throughout scripture is love that holds and binds all of these things together. Like a layer of glue, divine love coats these passages and binds them together to demonstrate the life God intends for everyone, a flourishing life that spreads his goodness and joy throughout all of creation. However, this love is not an easy love. It demands great humility and sacrifice. It has no space for self-interest or the narrative of human empire. This is true love. I'm holding back really hard the princess bride. Trust me. (laughs) But that's such a picture of how we view love, isn't it? And how far off our idea of love is. So before we take to the scriptures and behold the picture of divine love, we must pause. We must, I believe we must pause. And we've really got to consider our own understanding of this funny word, this four-lettered word, right? But what is love, baby? Don't leave me alone. Come on, yeah. I didn't go full SNL on it, so. What is love? What is it? Um, in 2016, Jimmy Kimmel does this thing where he goes and interviews kids or as parents ask their kids questions and they compile them all and they are cute and hilarious and scary and every, (laughs) but they did when they were on the streets is in 2016 and they asked kids to describe what love is, right? Should just show the video or, or not. They came up with some interesting responses. They would say things like, I have no idea <laughs> to, um, love is when you love somebody. <laughs> and that's funny, but that's kind of our understanding of love as a society. Like, what is love? Love is, love is when you love somebody. Yeah, but what does that mean? <laughs> what is that thing? The questions they were interviewing these kids with right away became focused on, do you have a crush? Right? Do you have a crush? Or what do you like about your crush? Or what do you like about your boyfriend or girlfriend? And these are kids, right? And the children responded with answers like, well, they're beautiful. I like their hair. I like their toys. <laughs> While it's children responding, I'm certain if we went and asked adults the same questions, we would receive more sophisticated responses, but really with the same heart. <laughs> An individual who is attracted to someone or something and desires to possess it or consume it. In our context today, we must understand love is about enthusiasm, attraction, and a conditional affection. That is how we understand love today. That is our Western concept, our American concept of love. It's about the self. Today, we are going to the life of Jesus to get a renewed vision of love. That's what we've been doing so far for 2022, been the renewed vision, non God, give us new eyes. Open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to see as you see, God. So we're going to go to the life of Jesus. Because the Bible's not a dictionary, right? right? 
but rather it's, it's, it gives us pictures and examples of things. We've started with John 15, and we've slowly been panning outwards to get an understanding of the context. We looked at John 14 a couple weeks ago to get the context. We went to 1 John, which is like a parallel sermon based off these passages. Today we continue that journey with John 13. John 13, there is an intimate interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And so we're not going to read all of John 13. I'm going to hopscotch through it, okay, just to give you a heads up here. And I'll let you know when I hop verses. Can I have my water? Yeah. Come on. Oh, okay. Thank you. Why shoot a three when you can always do a layup, right? Thanks, Marissa. John 13, verse 1, and I'm reading from the NET today. It says, just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his time had come to depart from this world to God, his Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the very end. Now just imagine movies like The Bucket List, those sorts of things. If you knew you were going to die, how many of us would turn into, well, I'm going to do things I want to (laughs) do. Me? If I knew I was going out, I would want to do all the things. Focus on myself. I want to have time for other people. Just being honest, sorry. Those would be my first thoughts when I think, what do I want to do? It would be like, where do I want to go? What do I want to see? Those sorts of things. God help me. Jesus loved them to the very end. So now we're going to skip to verse 12. Here, Jesus is going through the act of humbling himself to a lower status and washing his disciples' feet. A disgraceful thing for a man, let alone a Jewish rabbi, in their time and culture. Peter refuses this act, and Jesus rebukes him, expressing the importance of receiving such love, which speaks volumes. And here in verse 12, we'll pick back up. So when Jesus had washed their feet and put his outer clothing back on, he took his place at the table again and said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher, call me Lord, and you do so correctly, for that is what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you, you too ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example. You should do just as I have done for you. Now, now I'm going to skip, we're going to skip to 34. Everyone is, is going to be seated as the meal goes on. Jesus has some dialogue. Um, and he has some dialogue with Judas, recognizing Judas's uh, betrayal or desire to betray him. And, and Judas locks it in. Did Judas have to lock it in? That's a question to ponder. But Ju- Judas locks it in by taking a piece of bread from Jesus and flees. Jesus turns back to the table and he says this in verse 34. I give you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Everyone will know this, but everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We know this passage, right? Like we own this. Like this is like when we talk about a lot, a lot. Jesus knows his time to die is approaching. We're directly telling his disciples this, and they are freaking out, still not understanding. They're in turmoil. Jesus is in turmoil. His disciples are in turmoil. He's the one that's going to die. Why are they in turmoil? 
Because their expectation for Jesus is being blown up. He's supposed to be the guy to revolt against Romans, to overthrow the corrupt temple, to do all these things. He's supposed to be that guy. And he's talking about dying, and he's saying you can't go with him to die. That makes sense when Peter says, like, hey, I'll die with you. Like, we're going to go out in the, the, the blaze of glory, right? And Jesus is like, no, it's not like that. So they are in turmoil. They are freaking out. Has your vision of Jesus, the church, Christianity, the world, whatever, has it been broken and you're freaking out? You're like, this is not what I thought it was. This is not what I thought it was supposed to be. This is not what I was told growing up. This is not what's supposed to be happening. Jesus is supposed to take away my sins and give me a comfortable life. Right? It's supposed to be easy. Always supposed to be getting along with everybody. Always in agreement. They had left everything to follow him. It's still likely, though, this is all leading. They thought this is leading to revolution against the Romans. Jesus wasn't sounding like this. It was sounding like a revolution of love, which was not in their vocabulary yet. Yet. One by one, his disciples question and interrupt Jesus. If you read from John 13 through 16, you just see, like, he's teaching, and then one of the disciples will just, like, interrupt with a weird question. And you're like, that is so random. But it's not, though, because they are wrestling with Jesus dying. They're wrestling with this idea of their expectations dying. And you'll see that. From Peter, from Thomas, from the Judas, they interrupt and ask these questions. Like, where are you going? Or we don't know the way, or how are we supposed to follow you? Which makes sense if their expectation is, hey, we're going into battle and overthrowing the Romans. We need to know where you're going and be with you and be your guys. They're not getting it. In John 14, Jesus comforts them. All this. Jesus could have said, forget you guys. I'm doing it. Like, you know, I mean, he could have done so many different things. We covered this a couple weeks ago. But instead, he encourages them to continue and to remember his words. He's like, when these things happen, remember what I'm saying right now. Remember my teaching. I'm sending my spirit to be with you, and he will help you remember too. But you need to remember this, and then you will understand. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Now, one last time, at least for now, we're going to go back to John 15. And I would ask this. Could we have someone dim the lights a little bit? Close your eyes. Don't follow along with me. Close your eyes and listen. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. He prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it will bear more fruit. You are clean already because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit because apart from me you can accomplish nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown out like a branch and dries up. And such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and burnt up. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, 
Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit and show that you are my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, also I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My commandment is this, to love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not understand what his master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have revealed to you everything I heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This I command you to love one another. Are you seeing or hearing that layer of glue? Love? How love brings us all together? Thank you guys for dimming the lights. What is love? What is love? Love is living like Jesus. So what did Jesus do in John 13? What did Jesus do in his ministry, in his life? How did he love? He served others in the midst of his own suffering. He served others in the midst of his own suffering. When I'm suffering, I want to, I want to minister to myself. When I'm suffering, I want to serve myself. I want others to serve me. Help me. I'm suffering. But when Jesus was suffering, he still reached out and served others. He looked out to the needs of those around him. Always. He was looking out for their needs. And not their wants. And not what they thought they needed. But by need, it was their heart. It was the condition of their heart. Things that were getting in the way of them connecting with God and other people. Those things. It's hard to love God and people when you're on the fringes, when you're out without food, without shelter, when you're on the outside. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Those And those are exactly the people Jesus saw. Yeah? yeah? He lowered himself to lift others up. He didn't care about his status. Yeah. He didn't care about his reputation in the eyes of status quo. You know what I mean? He cared about his reputation in the eyes of God. But he would lower himself. He would do what society would be considered disturbing or disgusting things in order to benefit others. He would seek out those who were forgotten or outcast. Women. Orphans, widows, foreigners, the ill. 
he would see the human dignity in everyone. And he would bear with immaturity and show grace the whole time. I mean, come on, look at his disciples. (laughs) Are you loving like this? Are you loving like this or are you clinging to our 21st century American version of love that I have to have strong feelings for something in order for it to be love? Uh, It has to benefit me in some way for it to be love. It has to be attractive in order for me to love it. What happens when we mix this up with the church? We create that condition, the condition for affection, right? I'll love you if you do this for me, if you look this way, or when we get to this point, then I will do this. That's not how Jesus loves. What does a John 13 kind of love look like for us today? All right, here's a practical. I, I don't do practicals a lot, okay? So if you're a practical, you're a very pragmatic person, all right, here you go. This is for you. Being completely present with people when we encounter them. <laughs> Jesus was 100%. He was so present, he could like see into like their souls. Like He like knew what was going on. Because he knew how to be present with people. He just knew how to do that. I struggle with that. And I can pin it on a lot of other things. Right? But what it is, it comes down to is a selfless focus and a selfless attention. And I think if I can get on this pedestal for a moment, we are in a time and place in in life and history where we are the least present with one another because of, yes, technology. Let's just talk about that, phones, uh, technology addiction, those sorts of things. But our our lifestyle, our pace of life, um, our schedules, the things we think we have to do or we must do or our children are going to grow up and, and, and be horrible people if we don't, you know, if they're not playing a different sport every night. Or something, you know what I mean? I don't know what it is, and I don't want to pin it on one thing. But it's there. It's that busyness. It's that. It's that. What it is? It's control. We're trying to control life, control the pace of life. We're trying to not be still and listen. Right? Why do I fall asleep to the TV at night? Because when I lay down, I don't want to hear what's going on in my mind. So I gotta fall asleep listening to, like, I don't know, some TV show. Jimmy Kimmel. Does that make sense, being present with people? It is hard to be present with people, especially now. But what's what's the cost of not? What's the cost of relationships? You know, I'm reading um, All Things to All People from Michael Burns. Great book. If you haven't read it, this is a must, 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 must read for us. Um, And one of the things he talks about, um, I'm losing it. I lost it. Okay, we'll come back to it if it comes back. It wasn't in my notes, so amen. Not leveraging our status or position against others to get out of uncomfortable situations. How often could Jesus have done that? I'm the rabbi here. I'm not doing this. Toodles. Like, just walk away. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't have to answer your question. You know, you're just my lowly disciple. Like, one day you'll understand when you're older. Like, yikes. Those things are slipped into our vocabulary. I noticed myself, you know, um, 
when people come around that you haven't seen in a while and you knew them when they were younger, you're like, oh, I remember when you were this little. What am I doing? I'm leveraging my position against them. It's a very subtle move, right? And we do that all the time. But why do we do that? It really, what we're communicating is like, I'm older than you. I'm wiser than you. I remember when you were a kid. You're a kid in my mind. Those kinds of things. Things like, I did that for years. Like, I, I gave people rides for years. Now it's someone else's time. Let them earn stripes. Or, or whatever it might be. Just a couple things there. I'm trying to make this practical for us. Not leveraging our status or position against others to get out of uncomfortable situations. Well, I don't know how to do that, so let's just displace. <laughs> let's Now, okay, let's. this person has to handle this situation because, you know, that's uncomfortable for me. You know, I can't tell you over the years as I've worked with young people how often it is um, when someone will invite someone that's roughly my age, whether it's 10 years younger than me or 10 years older than me, they come up and like, Ethan, I want you to meet them. And I'm like, that's cool. Don't get me wrong. I love building relationships, and I love talking to people, and I love sharing my faith with people. But if you're going to invite somebody, are you sharing your life with them? Yeah, well, Ethan's the young guy, right? I'm just using myself as an example, right? Like, he's a young guy, you know, so yeah. No. I know it's uncomfortable for you. How uncomfortable was it for Jesus to take a band of like post-adolescent boys, guys, men, whatever you want to call them, I think boys, and like pour into them? That was uncomfortable, right? Okay, maybe I'm getting off track here. Okay. Meeting people in their challenges. We want to meet people before or after the challenges, don't we? But meeting people in their challenges. And not waiting for people to come to you in their challenges. Because typically it's kind of too late by that point in some ways. Does that make sense? Focusing on what we can do to bear bones with people. Not fixing it. Not having all the answers. Not coming up with just like uh, passing the buck to things like, well, okay, yeah, you just, you just need to pray about it. And uh, okay, see you later. How can you walk with people? How can you bear burdens with people? Um, Jesus would go into cities that were like leper colonies, and he would go into them to prepare the way for the kingdom. He would go into places that would make him ritually unclean. Think about that, right? Don't focus on what you can't do. Well, I can't do this for them. I can't, you know, I don't have the training or, or knowledge or the money or the ability or the time in my schedule. That's your fault. But whatever it is, Focus on what you can do, right? Focus on what you can do. Meeting people and their challenges. Not backing down to opposition, but responding with empathy and love. Jesus spoke the truth, but the truth is not truth if there's no love in it. That's the whole point, like one of the points of 1 John, like the book. If you read it, remember the 16 minutes shorter than an episode of The Office talks about truth a lot, yes? But truth without love is not truth at all. Really, anything without love is not that thing at all. Yeah? Generosity without love is not generosity. That's the ice bucket challenge. You know what I mean? Without love, everything's meaningless. How do you respond to tension? How do you respond to disagreements? How do you respond to those sorts of things? Do you run, do you run away? Get your Monty Python on. Run away. Run away! <laughs> Do you bark back? Ooh, like you just get in their face. 
No, I'm, 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 you know, whatever you do, do you just try to outlast? Do you just keep your head down and try to survive? Kind of, you know, do the ostrich thing. Are ostriches the one that stick their heads in the sand? Yeah. Do they really do that? I don't know if that's a cartoon thing. Okay. Or do you lean in? Do you breathe shalom into the situation? Peace, calmness, love, grace, patience, kindness. Oh, the fruit of the spirit. This requires you to stick your neck out. And you might get wounds in the process. Probably. But did that not happen to Jesus? John fifteen fourteen says that we are Jesus' friends if we obey his command. And his command is to love. Do you truly believe that you are totally ineffective without having a love like Jesus? Do you believe you can still have some effect by like, well, I can do this thing. And yeah, I know I'm not really good with my words or I'm not really good at my relationships or I'm I'm not really good at speaking truth and not coming across like totally harsh, but like that's all right. No, do you believe you are totally ineffective without having a love like Jesus? Because what is being said here is that you are. You are. We are. I am. Because love is the glue. Abounding love is the glue. You aren't his friend if you don't have that love. If you don't obey my commands, you're not my friend, right? You are my friend if you obey my commands. Those are heavy words, though. We could truly spend months or even years speaking exclusively about Jesus' abounding love in the Gospels, let alone backing up to the story of all of Scripture at God's redemptive love. But I believe that God is giving us enough right now to provoke and stir us up to reconsider methods of bearing fruit and love. We cannot say all there is to say about love, but that's not the point to say. So as we prepare for our communion time, we need to consider how we see love into reality, how we see love into reality together. And yes, you were thinking it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. All right, yeah. An oldie but a goodie, right? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge... And I have all faith so I can remove mountains, but I don't have love. I am nothing. If I give away everything that I own and I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I receive no benefit. Love is patience. Love is kind it is not envious okay so our american idea of love just got shut down that's like two words in okay love does not brag it is not puffed up it is not rude it is not self-serving it is not easily angered or resentful it is not glad about injustice ha they got theirs they deserve it love is not glad about that but rejoices in the truth. 
It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But if there are prophecies, they will be set aside. If there are tongues, they, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be set aside. If there is knowledge, it will be set aside. If there is knowledge, it will be set aside. It's not about your head. It's not about what you know. It's not about your orthodoxy. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when what is perfect comes, the partial will be set aside. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Jimmy Kimmel. But when I came, when I became an adult, I set aside childish ways. For now we see in a mirror indirectly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known and now these three remain faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love abounding love is the glue god has always called his people to be a people of love always jesus's yoke loving god and loving people go read the torah go read the old testament with that lens you see it God has always called his people to be a people of love, for love to be the dominant reality of his kingdom. Jesus recognized this lens of understanding God's message and God's reality. He embraced that yoke of love God and love your neighbor as as the means to bring kingdom come. What are your means to bring kingdom come? It better be love. Love is everything. Without it, God's kingdom cannot exist. Without it, the early church would not have been able to wrestle through its cultural conflicts. Without it, we cannot bear the fruit of God. But let us not forget who God made us to be. His image bearers. So let's strip off those things. Let's strip off our ideas of love our ideas of identity, our ideas of accomplishing work, bearing fruits. And let's take on the yoke of Jesus. For all this in this series on bearing fruit, for all that's been offered, for everything we've discussed this year about renewing our vision, it's all absolutely worthless if we do not see to the reality of love in our lives. Jesus is love. It's that simple. It is that simple. It is that simple. Love is the way. I am the way to truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Amen. Let's pray and let's take communion together. Father, we, we... We come before you and we ask for your words alone to ring true to our hearts, to to open the eyes of our hearts as we sing and we, we cried out to you. God, to help us to understand your love, 
to help us to, to take off the layers of our identity and selves that we've put on, that we've taken on um, from the ways of man. God, help us to set aside our human wisdom, our human knowledge, and to just be, to just be in you and just follow in the footsteps of Jesus. That's all it is. That's all we got, God. That's all we need. Father, you are all we need. We find ourselves in you, and we find joy in that. We find joy in love. We find goodness there. We thank you for that. Thank you for the way of Jesus, the suffering he endured, the way he endured those trials for the benefit of others. Father, help us to be like him. It's in his name that we remember and pray. Amen.